an eagle soars. It flies. Ha, you couldn't fly. Yeah. It's it's not right. It should have been like an eagle face down, like smacking into the ground. <laughs> Just on its beak, butt in the air. Neck all twisted up. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Franchise Frights Podcast. Hi, Mandy. Hello, Cam. How are you? I'm good. If you notice a little bit of difference in our sound quality this time, it's because we are in the process of moving our little studio area, and we've taken all the sound dampening off the wall where we normally record and put it up where we're going to be recording. <laughs> so I had to make us a nice little blanket for it. I, th- I think it's it's working out okay. I hung up some fleece blankets. Yeah. And you can probably hear our dog snorting and snuffling in the background. <laughs> He's looking for the cat. You know, usually we say we can hear him, but like, I don't normally hear him on the episodes. I don't either. So. I hope people can, though. Yeah. If we have any listeners of the Jewish faith, I just want to wish you a happy Hanukkah. Today is the first day of Hanukkah. Happy Hanukkah. Let's see what's been going on with us. Oh, I went and saw Exorcist Believer. Oh, yeah. I forgot. It wasn't great, <laughs> but it wasn't nearly as bad as like the reviews are making it out to be. Like People are like rating it like a one out of 10 and like, yeah. I'd give it a negative four if I could. Well, then why did you waste money going to see it? Like Because I love horror in the No, theater. but I mean, if you're going to rate it a negative four, why oh. would you waste money? Like, I saw the previews. And knew I didn't want to go see that movie. Well, and like everybody made up their minds before it even came out. Yeah. And so many people were like, why are they remaking The Exorcist? They're not. They didn't remake it. They're just like venturing out. Like the Exorcist TV show is one of the best TV shows. Oh, it was so good. Ever. Do you have anything to say? I do. I just wanted on this is our 10th episode. It is. I'm so excited and I just wanted to take a minute to thank you. Oh. Because it took a lot of convincing to get me to do this podcast. Like almost 3 years worth of convincing. Like several years. Um mostly because I don't like being in the spotlight like at all. You don't like people hearing your voice. I don't like my voice. I was really, really, really nervous our first episode. <laughs> I was so scared. But now it's like, it's not a big deal. We're just talking. Yeah, I'm just having a conversation with my husband. And then I, I also have like extreme social anxiety. So like people that like know us are probably like, what the fuck, Mandy talks. <laughs> that's how my mom was <laughs> after she listened to the first episode. She was like, I think that's the most I have heard Mandy talk in the entire time you've been together. Because like... It takes a lot for me to come out of my shell. Yes. But once I'm out, I'm out. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Especially if there's libations involved. Yeah. But yeah, so I just wanted to say thank you because I'm having fun. Well, thank you. And I wanted to say thank you to our listeners. 
Because this is doing better than I ever thought it would have. We're doing good. Yeah. I'm ecstatic. Yeah. You guys are doing the rate, review, subscribe. Yes. And keep it going. Yeah. Share us everywhere. We appreciate it. And we love all of you. Even those that we don't know. Maybe we'll start a street team. Yeah. Like all punk rock from the early 2000s. We have to get stickers. Yes. And business cards. Yeah. So, do you have any horror movie news? They're remaking Nosferatu. Yes. Did I say that in the last episode or no? I don't think so. I don't think so either. I think we just saw it like when we were upstairs watching movies or something. Yeah. Um, but they're remaking it with Bill Skarsgård. That's going to be. As Count Ol- Orlock. Orlock. Um, and then it's also starring Willem Dafoe and Lily Rose Depp. It's going to be so good. I think it's going to be very good. Do you I don't know, know who's that, directed. I guess I didn't look to see who directed. I don't know that there's another like a better character actor than Bill Skarsgård right now. No, and like, like him in Castle Rock, oh, he was so good. He's great. I like him. Castle Rock was amazing until the two season finales. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, it's Stephen King tradition. You just can't end it well. No, you just fall off. Um. Also, we watched Talk to Me. Oh my gosh. Go watch it now. Just go buy it. Yeah. Like just just buy it. If you appreciate any genre of horror, it's mwah. It's so good. I want to watch it again. Uh-huh. Like I probably just need to buy like, it. Like we'll probably buy it tonight and maybe watch it again tonight. Yeah. <laughs> Over some homemade popped corn. Yeah. I've told Cam this before, but I was just waiting for it to drop. Like Oh, I was too. Because I haven't seen a great horror movie in so long. That I just kept, well, where are they going to fuck this up? Where are they going to fuck this up? Yeah. And it was, uh, I kept waiting for it to pull a barbarian. And like, oh, we're going to go super cheese, aren't we? Oh, I haven't seen Barbarian. Yeah, you have. Did I? The one with Justin Long and Bill Skarsgård was in it. It starts off with the girl like renting the Airbnb, but she and Bill Skarsgård both rented the same Airbnb at the same time. Okay. And then they go down in the basement and there's like a creepy boob monster down there. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Oh, we watched it. Okay. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> it wasn't good. Okay. The first half was great. Yeah. Which is how horror movies are right now. Yeah. I don't know if you knew about this. I don't know if I've talked to you about it yet. Uh, Netflix is making a standalone Fear Street movie. Really? They were going to make another trilogy, but they were like, you know what? Let's just make one installment and... According to a source from Netflix, they're looking to create their own horror icon, like Freddy or Jason or The Shape. Oh. And based on what they did in the first three movies, I think they could do that. Um, Because they had some scary characters. Yes. Well, and I think Elena was talking about it. Was it on Scream? Where she was saying that they should go back and make like... Oh, yeah. Like a... um, Like do a series. Like an origin story. Yeah. As to each of the killers. I would love that. That would be so awesome. I want them to do that for 13 Ghosts also. Yeah. Like give me a limited series and give me the backstory on all 13 Ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be easy. Just do like one episode per ghost. Yeah. And then you could even do a movie afterwards of like their new adventures. (laughs) (laughs) Those ghosts go go on lots of adventures. Oh, yeah. The juggernauts snapping people in half. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess we could get into the movie. I guess so. We're 
what, like eight minutes? We're not bad. I thought we were like a lot farther than that. So today we're talking about Final Destination from 2000. And this movie hits like right in my sweet spot for time. Like these were my glory days. Oh, yeah. Like looking at everybody's outfits Uh and how they talk and everything. They just, that's Cam. Yeah. So the movie was directed by James Wong, screenplay by Glenn Morgan, James Wong, and Jeffrey Riddick. The story was by Jeffrey Riddick, produced by Warren Zide, Craig Perry, and Glenn Morgan, starring Devin Sawa, Ali Larder, Kerr Smith, and Tony Todd. I put this per movie poster crediting because I thought the credits. It's kind of odd. It's weird. Like, I get why you put Tony Todd in there, mm-hmm. but like, he's in it for two minutes. Yeah. And it gives it it gives it a little horror movie cred. Yeah. But I don't understand why they yeah. listed him. Um, cinematography by Robert McLaughlin. Edited by James Kobolentz. Music by Shirley Walker. It was distributed by New Line Cinema. I guess I didn't write who the production company was. Um, I think New Line was the production company, too. Um, It was released on March 17th, 2000. Its runtime is 98 minutes. It had a budget of $23 That seems like a lot. Yeah, that's like $41 now. Okay. Um, But its box office was $112.9 That's $200 now. Oh, that's that's not bad. Yeah, it did pretty well. It made money. Um, it has a 6.7 on IMDb, a 36% critic score on Rotten Tomatoes, and a 68% audience score. Screw those critics. Yeah. I mean, this is, this movie's not fantastic. It's but, not good, but it's entertaining. Yeah. And like, the special effects were good. Yeah. I thought the directing was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why they rated it so low. It had teenagers in it. Yeah. So what did you think of the movie? Oh, I wanted to get to some critics real quick. Oh, okay. Uh, the Rotten Tomatoes consensus is, despite a panel of X-Files alums at the helm and a promising presence, flighty performances and poor execution keep Final Destination from ever taking off. Oh, that was smooth. Yeah, isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, Lou Lumenick of the New York Post said... The film's premise quickly deteriorates into a silly, badly acted slasher movie, minus the slasher. Oh. Uh, Ernest Hardy of LA Weekly said, fails because it takes itself both too seriously and not seriously enough. I would agree with that, though. (laughs) It's tongue-in-cheek, but it's trying to be super serious. Yeah. Joe Lydon of Variety said it generates a respectable amount of suspense and takes a few unexpected turns while covering familiar territory, which I agree with that a lot. Yeah. And Chris Clattenbach of Baltimore Sun called it fitfully entertaining. Oh, I have that Walter Adgio of the San Francisco Gate Quote, amid the pictures wrote gotcha stuff, several of the creepy killings show a thimble full of imagination. These scenes involve household objects rigged up with morbid wit into a convoluted Rube Rube Goldberg death machine, (laughs) which is kind of true. Yeah. And that's my favorite thing about this movie is just like watching how death is like, I could use that. Yeah. Um, Yeah. My other quote's not that great, so I'm not going to read it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, initial impressions? Um, I like this movie. 
like I said, it's it's a fun watch. It's not a great movie. No. But it's it's good. And I really like Devin Sawa. Me too. Yeah. And like this cast is so perfect. Yeah. If you're an elder millennial. Yes. Um, I like the premise that when it's your time, it's your time. And I like that there's not anything trying to kill them. Yeah. Like, it's death. It's just a force. And like, how do you get away from death? There's no cheating death. You don't. Yeah. So what, what did you think before watching, even though you've seen it a hundred times? Uh, I saw this movie three times in the theater. <laughs> I saw it on opening weekend and then twice at the Dollar Theater when it was at the Marshalltown Orpheum. Oh. Because when it hit the Dollar Theater, it was super hot outside and I wanted free air conditioning because I had just started living on my own. And I was like, whoa, electric bills suck. Yeah. Allie Larder. What else can you say? She's awesome. I love Allie mm-hmm. Larder. One of the most ingenious horror movie premises of all time. Yeah. Like, it's a slasher movie and there's no slasher. Yeah. There's no big bad. Yeah. I also said, it's fast, it's fun, and it's just enough sci-fi to be different. <laughs> I really want to be like a horror movie critic. Yeah. I watched this movie the night before every flight I've taken since it came out. Why? Because I like to be scared. Oh, no, thank you. And that's that's all I have for my initial impression. You want to get into it? Let's dive in. You want to start or should I? You can because that, the, it opens weirdly. It does. The <laughs> opening credit sequence is... I, I don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. No. And I feel like they did it just to extend the time a little bit. I think so, too. So we get deep strings for the opening score, and then we see lightning and a collection of everyday items in a bedroom that are made to look ominous during the opening credits. So you described that well, because I didn't know how to describe that. <laughs> <laughs> a passport and an airplane ticket drop onto a bed. The passport belongs to one Alex Browning, and I love his passport photo because it's just terrible. Mm-hmm. The plane ticket is for Volé Airlines Flight 180, departing May 13th at 9.25 p.m., and the flight is from JFK to CDG France. Uh, now, a touring France book is removed from a shelf, revealing death of a salesman behind it. Oh. A fan blows open some pages in the book, showing some of France's dark history. <laughs> now we get pages of a book about demons and death fluttering in the breeze. Why does he have that? I don't know. And this is why I was so confused. Like, I'd never really given it much thought watching it. I was like, oh, they're showing us creepy shit. But like, why are you telling me the history of French demons? Yeah. We don't make it to France until the end. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. They're setting up a plot that never happens. I guess so. Uh, the final image we get in this opening sequence is... A photo from Jim Morrison's grave with This is the End spray painted on it. And the This is the End starts glowing and comes towards the front of the screen. Scary. So Alex's mom pops into his room to inform him of when his friends will be picking him up for the trip. Uh, he's borrowing his dad's suitcase and his mom goes to rip the baggage claim tag off the handle from its last flight. And Alex kind of freaks out about this for some reason. And he tells her that since the tag made it through the last flight. Without crashing. Yeah. It should work again this time. Tearing it off would be bad luck. And it has to be on the bag or at least with the bag. And his mom asks him where he gets a nutball idea like that. And then she rips the tag off. Yeah, and it, she doesn't care about her son's thoughts. She just rips it off of there. Yeah. 
And that was so like early 2000s, like fuck your anxiety. Yeah. That's why we're all medicated now. So his dad shrugs it off and he says, hey, I'm still here. Yeah. And then Devin Sawa laughs very uncomfortably. <laughs> He's like, ha, 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 ha. I'm nervous. Uh, so now his dad runs down the plans for the trip. He's going on a class trip to Paris for 10 days in the springtime. And his mom and dad look almost jealous of him. Well, I like that his dad here tells him, he says, Alex, you're 17. You're going on your senior trip with friends. It's springtime in Paris. Live it up. Yeah. You have your whole life ahead of you. No parent says this. No. Like, we would say this now as a parent. Mm -hmm. But like, that's not what parents typically do. They're like, you shouldn't drink. You shouldn't smoke. Don't yeah. have sex with people in France. Like, but he's just telling him, like, go enjoy yourself. Like, mm -hmm. this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Live it up. Well, and I like that his parents are so awkward. Yes. They're like, I don't know how to talk to my teenager. Uh-huh. So after his dad says, live it up, you've got your whole life ahead of you, Alex gets a very concerned look on his face. Mm -hmm. So now Alex is sleeping and we see some more ominous looking things in his room, just like we did in the opening credit sequence. Uh, we see that his fan is not on, but suddenly things in the room begin to blow around. Posters, magazine pages, the propellers of a model airplane. Ooh. He wakes up as the breeze starts blowing on him, and he hears an ethereal-sounding voice calling his name a couple of times. It sounds a lot like Ali Larder. Oh. He looks concerned, again, but this time with a little bit of confusion, because he just woke up. Mm -hmm. uh, he looks to the fan and finds it's not on, so he rolls over and goes back to sleep, and the camera focuses on his alarm clock. It's 1 a.m., but the first zero has a little glitch in the digital readout, and it keeps flashing back and forth between an 8 and a 0. So it shows 180. That's the same as his flight number. Oh, no. That's ominous. So the uh, alarm clock display morphs into a flight departure board at JFK Airport while a jet engine sound plays. Then we hear the usual airport noises as the kids are being dropped off by the bus at the terminal. Uh, we see Carter as he bullies Billy. Bullies Billy. Bullies Billy. We're meeting all the characters now. Mm -hmm. Terry is Carter's girlfriend, and she looks a little disgusted either at Billy or at the bullying of Billy. Yeah. We don't really know which. I, I think she's just kind of trapped with Carter. I don't know that she enjoys him all that much. You know, I get the impression that this is not a healthy relationship. Oh, I know it's not. But Amanda Detmer is just adorable. She's cute. Uh, Miss Luton is nervously overseeing the unloading of the kids from the bus. Clear is standing clear of contact with anyone. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah, I saw. Krista and Blake are the hot girls who don't have any time for Todd, who is Alex's best friend. <laughs> Todd's brother George makes fun of him for even considering that the hot girls would give him the time of day. Alex joins in on the ribbing a little bit. Their French teacher, Mr. Murnau, addresses the kids in French, and they all look confused. Uh, Todd and George dad, George's dad gives George money for both of them for the trip and tells Alex, take care of them. You guys got all those names down? Yeah. You got it? No. We got Todd, George, Carter. I, ha I have curly blonde girl, blonde girl, brunette girl. <laughs> <laughs> Todd's brother. So in the concourse of the terminal, a Hare Krishna practitioner hands Alex a pamphlet and tells him, death is not the end. And Alex looks intimidated. 
It's the first time he's ever been handed anything. Yeah, but I like what the teacher comes up and says. Yes. Miss Luton tells him, it will be for you if you harass my students. And the Hare Krishna guy looks at her and very sassily goes, Hari Rama. <laughs> and she mouths, fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> so Alex looks shocked and he does a lot of face work in this movie. He does. He gives a lot of face. Yeah. So Alex is checking in for his flight and he's very distracted by all the happenings at the airport. Mm hmm. He's staring at the departure board as it updates. And he just looks like a weirdo. <laughs> he, he's overwhelmed. He he looks like maybe he needs to be medicated. Well, yeah. Well, he's obviously clearly scared about flying. Yes. And then it's like storming out, which makes it even worse. And I think he's just kind of weird. I think he also just has some anxiety in general. Yeah. I know how that goes. Mm hmm. The attendant at the check-in counter points out that his departure time and his birthday are both 9.25. Oh. Coincidences. He sees the words terminal and departed on the board, and that scares him. So now the kids are being kids as they wait to board the plane. Carter's being a dick to Billy again. Todd and George are bickering over the money again. Uh, Miss Luton breaks the brothers up, and Carter and Terry are now making out fiercely. No, they're, they're dry humping in a chair. Yeah, I, I wrote, they're nearly about to go into full dry hump mode in the chair. Right now, <laughs> it's just light dry hump. Yeah, but they're going at it. Clear drops her book, and Alex picks it up for her, and she's carrying that awesome yellow Walkman mm -hmm. with the yellow over-the-head earbuds. Yeah. Everybody from our generation knows that Walkman. And those earbuds, do you remember how bad they hurt? Yes. They just like jammed into your ears. Yeah. And they never fit right. No. And they... so people next to you could hear your music yeah. better than you could. And then your ears just hurt. Yes. Uh, so he hands her the book back and the page that the book fell open to shows the aftermath of Lady Di's fatal car accident in Paris. Claire looks at it and she seems uncomfortable and she looks after Alex who's taking his baggy pants to the window to stare at a plane. <laughs> His pants are so baggy. It was the era. And he looks so super uncomfortable right now. Yes. Like somebody give the kid some value. No, not even value. He just needs a Xanax. He'll be fine. <laughs> Did you want to take over? Sure. So then um, Todd approaches. Oh, you sure. You leave the shit scene to me. Oh, I can talk about the doo-doos. <laughs> you, you can jump in after the doo-doos. Okay. You can talk about the doo-doos. Uh, so Todd comes over and insists that Alex goes and takes a dump with him. And Alex is like, you can go poop on your own. So Todd explains in the most New York accent ever. <laughs> yeah, it's good. That they need, that they could be in the air when their bodies want that airplane food out. Then you have to torque a wicked cable and immediately following your poo shenanigans, one of the hot girls like Krista or Blake could go into the barely ventilated closet that is a coach bathroom. Do you want them to associate you with that watery sting in their eye? That reflexive gag at the back of their throat? So now we get an overhead shot of Todd and Alex pooping in stalls next door to one another. I will say it was kind of a cool shot, though. Like yeah, it was. <laughs> Alex notices that Rocky Mountain High is playing over the speakers in the bathroom and notes that John Denver died in a plane crash. Hmm. Just after his pooping epiphany, they announce that his flight is now boarding, and Alex looks concerned again. Oh, no. So then the teachers are trying to get the kids all boarded. Um, you can tell Alex is, like, super nervous to be flying. Like I said before, it's storming outside. His friend comments that it would be fucked up God to take down this plane because they see a baby, 
And then they turn the corner and we see a physically disabled man. And then he says, it would be a really fucked up God. Yes. So they're feeling a little safe because there's vulnerable people aboard. Yes. Um, And right before they get on the plane, Alex looks down between the crack of the jetway and like the actual airplane Uh and a baggage cart goes under them and the number on the baggage cart is 666. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, yeah. I just saw the ground. The devil's at work. Yes. So Alex gets to his seat at the end of the airplane by himself. He belts himself in and he turns on the fan. You can tell he's worked up about flying. And then the two pretty girls, which are Krista and Blake, Blake, um, approach him and they want to trade seats so that they can sit together. Todd's a couple rows up and is shaking his head violently at Alex to tell him no. But Alex agrees and goes to sit by Todd. Because he just told one of them that he can't trade seats because he has a UTI. (laughs) He's like, no, I got like this urinary tract infection. So like I can't trade seats with anybody. So... Alex gets up and goes to sit by Todd. Todd is not happy with Alex, but Alex replies, did you really think you were just like going to titty fuck them over Greenland? And, you know, I think this was the first time I ever heard titty fuck in a movie. probably. Alex goes to turn the handle on his tray and it breaks off. And then does he hit the flight attendant button? Because I think he does, but she never comes. Yeah, and she just looks over at him like, dude, we're not even in the air. Yeah. So the captain tells the flight attendants to prepare for takeoff, and the plane starts to taxi. The kids are all excited and cheering, and the plane starts to take off, but it's a little bit bumpy, and then it calms down, and everyone else starts to calm down with it. And Todd looks all doofy and happy as they're taking off. He's like, oh, I'm going on an airplane. (laughs) I don't think Todd has much for brains. I don't think so. Um, So then there's some more turbulence. Luggage starts falling from overhead. Everyone starts to be thrown around. Oxygen masks uh, jump. No, oxygen masks come down. And then there's kind of an explosion and part of the plane is ripped open. I really like when they're hitting the turbulence Mm -hmm. and Billy spills his container of whoppers on the floor. Oh, and then there's whoppers like. Yeah, like as the plane's (laughs) jerking, you can see what it's doing because the whoppers are like moving back and forth on the floor. Yeah. I just thought that was a really cool little. Yeah. Little directorial thing Mm -hmm. so once the part of the plane is ripped open kids are just like flying out of the open plane yeah it doesn't look like a good time (laughs) no (laughs) um and it's pretty much just chaos until a giant wall of fire comes for them all and there's just a big explosion and then alex wakes up i like when uh there's a guy that gets sucked out of the side of the plane Uh and he clearly was not wearing his seatbelt because he was an older guy. Yeah. And you know that he got on the plane. He was like, fuck that. I'm not wearing a seatbelt. I don't wear a seatbelt in my car. Why should I do it on a plane? You're not going <laughs> to tell me how to live my life. Like he was one of those people that ran around without a mask in the pandemic and then screamed at Walmart workers. <laughs> Alex wakes up. Ha ha. It was just a dream or a vision. Oh, and when the fireball hits him. Yeah. Right before he wakes up and it's just cooking him. Uh-huh. Huh. It's not pleasant. I can I can taste that can scene. T- <laughs> I can taste that burning Alex. So we're back to Krista and Blake um, asking him to trade seats again, exactly as it was before in his dream. So this like freaks Alex out. But this time he's much sweatier. 
Yes. <laughs> so he runs up to Todd's row and turns the handle on the tray and it breaks. And this just like freaks him out big time. And he starts yelling that the plane is going to explode and causing a big scene. And then the flight attendant, who looks a lot like he wants to be Billy Zane in Titanic, <laughs> but he forgot to slick his hair back. Yeah. Um, tells him that they're going to have to remove him. And Alex says, no problem. I'll remove myself. Um, and then Carter decides he's going to try to start a fight with Alex. Yeah. Just sit in your suit, seat, dude. Like, like, he's getting off the plane. Just shut up. But I think it, I think Carter was also scared as shit to be flying. And so Alex causing a stir freaked him out. And he doesn't know how to deal with his own emotions. I don't know how to deal with emotions. So I just get angry. Well, I mean, he's Pacey's brother. Yeah. Life's hard. He's not Pacey's brother. He's not? I thought he was Pacey's older brother. No. He's not? He's P- Andy's brother. Uh, Pacey's girlfriend, Andy. Okay. Jack. I, I knew that he had some tie to Pacey, yeah. but it's been a no, long time. But Jack and Pacey's brother eventually oh, that's start right. dating. I don't know if they get married. I think they get married in the finale. I think so, too. That was Dawson's Creek, by the way. And we're, and uh, We're now a Dawson's Creek podcast. And Jack was like the sheriff at that time or like the police chief or something? No, his brother. Oh, he was? Pacey's brother was a cop and then ended up being the sheriff. Okay. I don't know what Jack ended up doing. Yeah, I get confused. Okay. It's been so long. I, I want to watch Dawson's Creek now. <laughs> <laughs> you could probably just cut all of that out. <laughs> so anyway, um, flight attendants start pulling people off the plane. Obviously, Alex and Carter. But Billy kind of gets swept into it because I think he was using the bathroom. And yeah. And was coming back. He was late getting onto the plane. So yeah. he's just stuck in the aisle because yeah. Billy has no luck. The teachers follow because their students are being taken off the plane. The two brothers decide which one is going to go check on Alex. And Todd says that he'll go. What's the curly blonde girl's name? Uh, uh, Terry. <laughs> Terry. <laughs> Terry follows her boyfriend out. And then Clear, having no reason other than believing Alex, decides to also get off the plane. And she looks super freaked out. Yeah. Like she has this look on her face like this plane is going to crash. Like she believes him. Cops are all waiting for them when they hit the terminal. Pilot says that no one is getting back on board, but the teacher, Mrs. Miss Luton. Luton. Thank you. I don't start referring to people by their names till later. <laughs> it just doesn't work that way. So Miss Luton begs the pilot to let one of the teachers get back on. She says that they have 40 students going to Paris for 10 days and she can't leave them alone. So the pilot agrees to let one teacher on. So she tells the male teacher that he should go. He knows the whole French thing. Because and all he's done so far is speak, speak French. French. Yeah. <laughs> she and the other students can take the next flight and they'll just be three hours behind them. I, I, I had a question here. <laughs> Are there really that many flames, planes flying to Paris on a regular basis? I'd say probably from JFK. Really? Like every three hours? Like maybe they would have to fly to London and then catch like a puddle jumper from London to Paris. I don't know. I don't know how fancy big airports work. Yeah, but you figure that like on the East Coast, that's probably the biggest airport yeah. flying internationally. Mm-hmm. So I imagine they probably have like four flights a day going to Paris. That's crazy. I don't know. I'm talking out of my ass. Okay. Um, I, I put a little note here that Terry kind of sucks almost as much as Carter because when they the cops at the airport like deposit Alex... And Carter into the chairs. Mm-hmm. And the pilot's like, you guys just stay put. 
uh, Terry comes up and punches one of the cops in the arms, and she's like, leave him alone. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh, you just hit a cop. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they should have tased her. That would have sh- been cool. They should have. So now they're all, like, in a room? Like a holding room? No, not yet. Not yet? You skipped a big plot point, like the main plot point of the movie. You go ahead, because I don't know where my notes are. Okay, so the plane backs away from the gate. Terry blames Alex for their misfortune. And you know what? I kind of think it's your boy toy's fault that you got booted off the plane. (laughs) And Miss Luton asks Alex why he freaked out. And he tells her about his vision. And he's like, it's just how everything happens, you know? And Todd (laughs) Todd chimes in with, you've been on a lot of planes that blew up. And Carter, once again, wants to fight Alex. Mm-hmm. So Miss Luton tells Alex he must have fallen asleep. Now Carter is incensed. And he says they blew an entire day in France because Brownie had a bad fucking dream. And then Carter mocks him. Alex tells him, the only trip you're going to take is the fucking hospital. <laughs> and then they spring from their chairs to fight. And the teenage hormones are so powerful right now. Carter doesn't know how to regulate his emotions. No. Uh, The cops separate them, and Billy watches as the plane takes off, and he says, there they go. Here we stay. And Carter tells Alex, you're going to pay for my trip, Browning. And Alex retorts, I wish you were on that plane. Just then, we see the plane explode out the large windows at the gate. Plane explodes. It explodes. And then the glass comes shattering in, which was awesome. Yeah, and Billy dives to the floor just as it <laughs> explodes. And you know, he just got showered with glass. Yeah, that's better than it all penetrating you, though. And uh, everyone is shocked. I'm shocked at Carter's horrible armband tattoo that looks like <laughs> Celtic scroll work. And uh, everyone looks at Alex like he has a dick growing out of his forehead. Yeah. So now they're in the room. Okay. Because I just put while they're waiting for parents to show up. But Yeah, the plane exploded first. Yeah. So it's like 10 o'clock-ish and everyone from the plane is sitting in a room together. Alex tells them that he didn't cause the plane to explode. The teacher asks if there are any survivors and Alex says, well, how should I know? And then Claire tells everyone that he's not a witch. And, you know, I think that's about as good a defense as you could give if you're in the Northeast, because they have a history of treating witches not so well. Yeah. Um, so NTSB comes in and tells them that their families are on the way and asks if anyone needs any medical or spiritual assistance. The FBI is also there and says that they're going to have to ask them all some questions and determine if there are any criminal activity while staring directly at Alex. Yes. And I like that. While the NTSB guy is talking, right over his shoulder is the clock giving the time in Paris. Yeah. I just thought that was like an extra little like twist of the knife. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, look what time it look- is where you were going to go. Yeah. So Alex is being interrogated. They ask him if he took any drugs. He says he just saw it all happen. And then they try to catch him in a trap because he told Carter he wished that he was on the plane just before it crashed. Which is like... He wasn't saying it in like a, I hope you die way. Like, I wish you were on the plane going to Paris. Like, Yeah, I, I think at that point he really believed it was going to blow up. And he was like, <laughs> fuck you, Carter. I wish you were on the plane. <laughs> One thing I really like about this scene, again, going to a clock over people's shoulders. Like, it shows how long they're interrogating uh-huh. everybody. And like, I don't know. It just makes it feel more grounded. Yeah. <laughs> grounded airplane. <laughs> so Todd tells... um the investigators that George told him to go check on Alex 
Miss Luton is upset that she told the other teacher to get back on the plane. Claire tells them that she wasn't forced to get off the plane and she wasn't friends with any of the kids. And they're kind of like, so why did you get off? And she says that she just believed Alex so much. She, I saw and I heard Alex and I believed him. Yeah. And she's given Allie Larder face. Yeah. Which is like, I'm not quite here, but I'm here. <laughs> so everybody's parents start to show up and they come in and they start embracing their uh, kids. Todd and George's dad gives Alex a very nasty look. Yes. Like, no, no do you one, think he blew up the plane? I don't know. I guess it's one of those, like, does he blame him for not getting both of his kids off the plane if he thought it was going to blow up? Does he think that he Alex was partially responsible for it? Does Well, he did tell him right before they walked in the front door to the airport. He's like, you take care of him. Yes. So it's like you get the feeling that they've been friends for a long time and that, like, Alex is kind of... Like, like the third brother. Yeah. But yeah, Todd's dad in this is just kind of weird. But and Clear's family doesn't come. No one shows up for Clear. So Alex's parents drive Clear home. It's pouring rain and they drop her off at her front driveway and she walks very, very slowly up her driveway in the pouring rain. And it looks like she just lives in a garage in the middle of a forest. Pretty much. Where's the house? I don't know. There's just a garage. In the middle of a forest. Yeah. Um, so She's, back, she's oh. like a little wood nymph. <laughs> That's why she knows about witches. Yeah. Uh, back at Alex's house, uh, we get a cool shot from the outside looking into Alex's room and into the hallway. He goes into his room and his parents awkwardly follow. Like, just give the kids some time. Well, I like that they both look like I have no idea what to say to this kid yeah. right now, but I kind of don't want him to be alone. Uh-huh. So then we see Alex break down and he starts crying and his mom comforts him. And both of his parents are dressed very business casual. Yeah, like they look like they just <laughs> got off work. And at this point, it's probably what, 1 a.m.? At least. I said the plane took off at 925. It was well after 10 when they got there. Did they really get all dressed up to go pick up their grieving, traumatized son? Okay, NTSB, FBI, cop guys, we'll be there. But let me do my hair first. Let me get my makeup on and put my slacks on. So later, Alex is watching a news story about the crash. Uh, all 287 passengers are dead. And they talk about the several students being removed from the plane just before takeoff. And that NTSB and FBI are investigating. There's a thunderstorm raging outside, and Alex looks out the window, and lightning strikes the street directly in front of his house. And it kept, like, the lightning strikes kept getting closer mm -hmm. to him, like, every time the lightning would flash. So it was like it was chasing him. Oh. Spooky ooky ooky. <laughs> we hear a man say that it's been 39 days since the crash, and we see students and families are gathered for a memorial service. George's dad is still giving Alex dirty looks. We see the FBI guys standing back behind the crowd. They're not even trying to hide the fact that they're just staring at Alex. Yeah. <laughs> There's a statue of an eagle being dedicated to the lives that were lost. I do not understand why they chose like this <laughs> big, atrocious eagle. Yeah. Like, even just put, like, all their names on a wall. Like, because they put the names on the bottom of it. Like, why is there an eagle on it? It would have been funny if they just did, like, the Eiffel Tower. 
Well, it's like, like it, wah, wah. well, and it's kind of mean. Like an eagle soars, it flies. Ha! You couldn't fly. Yeah, it's it's not right. It should have been like an eagle face down, like smacking into the ground, <laughs> just on its beak, butt in the air, neck all twisted up. <laughs> all of the students have roses, and they get up and they begin dropping them at the memorial, which is like the cheesiest fucking thing ever. And Carter takes this time to be a dick to Alex. No way. I can't believe it. And Alex accuses him of uh, being drunk on some Jack Daniels. And it's pretty obvious here that Carter's freaked out. Yeah. Like he has some survivor's guilt and Mm -hmm. he doesn't quite understand why he's alive. And then uh, he says, I control my life. I'm never going to die. But but you are eventually, Carter. (laughs) I like to when Billy walks up to Alex and he's like, Got my driver's license, barely passed. You know, I got a 70. That's like the lowest score you can get and still pass. And then, (laughs) whoa, that was a throat fart. Mandy, that was quality. (laughs) I'm sorry. And so he's looking for some insights from Alex because the instructor at his driver's test said, "Uh, young man, you're going to die at a very young age. And he's like, so is it true? Is it true? And Alex is like, I don't know. No, Alex replies, not here, not now, not ever. Yeah. And so I was I was con- confused by that. Like, is he telling them, don't worry about dying? I think he was just like, don't ask me about when you're going to die. And not see, now, not ever. Yeah. And see, that's what I was like. Is he telling them, like, don't worry about dying? Or is he telling him, like, quit asking me fucking questions? And this is not the appropriate place to be doing it. Yeah, I think I think it was more the latter. That's kind of what I took, too. And then uh, Billy takes the hint and he starts to walk away. And then he comes back and he's like, if I ask out Cynthia Baxter, will she say yes? <laughs> and Alex just looks at him like, dude. Yeah. Move on. Uh, so Alex places his rose at the same time that Miss Luton does. She tries to, or he tries to talk to her, but she cuts him short, telling him not to talk to her and that he skills, scares the hell out of her. Yeah, she's she's a dick, too. Yeah. He saved your life. Quite literally. But she also has severe survivor's guilt. And she just kind of sucks. Well, yeah, that too. Todd approaches Alex at the memorial. Alex tells him that he misses him. And Todd replies that his father doesn't understand what's going on and tells him that when his father gets over it, they'll go into the city and they'll catch a Yanks game. And I'm so surprised with this being like the late 90s, early 2000s, that when they were sharing their feelings about how they miss each other, Neither one of them, like, just had to punch one of them. the other one on the arm. Or be like, no homo, bro. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. That's... Like, they just shared feelings. He just said, hey, I miss you. Yeah. Hmm. And, like, there was no caveat. Claire comes up and she thanks Alex for her still being alive. And then Todd gets up and reads a piece, which I'm going to read because I thought it was kind of cool. I did, too. I, like, I wrote the whole thing. So did I. Um, it starts with, we say that the last, the hour of our death cannot be forecast, but when we say this, we imagine the hour is placed in an obscure and distant future. It never occurs to us that it has any connection with the day already begun, or that death could arrive the same afternoon, this afternoon, which is so certain, and which has every hour filled in advance. Boom. Yeah. Talk about setting up the whole movie. Yeah. Well, and it's like, it's such a simple idea, but you all, like, you don't think about it. Yeah. Like, when I think about dying, I think it's probably going to be like, I don't know, two months from now. (laughs) 
<laughs> I hope it's going to be a couple of years from now. <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> but yeah, you're just always so busy planning each and every day that you don't think like. Oh, I should just live this one. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep. YOLO. No. No. I haven't heard that for like <laughs> a long time. Carpe diem? Carpe diem. I like carpe diem. Seize the carp. Seize the carp. So now we cut to Todd's house and it looks like it, the inside of the house looks like it's straight out of that show, A Haunting. <laughs> It has the hallways all painted darkly. And all like lots of dark wood. Yeah. And there's wall sconces. And yeah. like you can just hear that piano note that do, 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 do. I love a haunting. It's so bad, but good. So Todd goes into the bathroom, checks himself out in the mirror as a breeze blows through the window. He closes the window and then the breeze continues blowing the door shut. So now Todd poops again. <laughs> He's always pooping. Well, yeah. And we see water start dripping from the valve on the toilet. That's a really uncomfortable shot because they show like his upper thigh, lower butt sitting on the toilet. Yeah. I don't like it. No. Like, do you think he was really pooping? No. I hope he was. No. Oh, I refer to it (laughs) as his ham hock. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you call that part of your body. So a ham hock sounded good. I like it. Yeah. I would call it like posterior thigh. Yeah. Ham hock. So now we cut to Alex's house and his oscillating fan is running and he's studying books about plane crashes and he has VHS copies of Air Disasters, <laughs> which is one of the best shows ever made. Which is regularly on at our house. Um, he has schematics of a plane. He's rocking the interwebs on his caveman computer. He's drinking some coffee. He picks up a copy of the newspaper and he sees a picture of Clear and she's got some cleavage out. And so apparently this stirs a little something something in Alex. And he decides to look at some penthouse Mm -hmm. because the teenage hormones are striking again. Yeah. So we cut back to Todd's house and he decides to dry shave with a safety razor. No. No, don't do it, buddy. He cuts himself. And he sees in the mirror a dark shadow creep over the entire room as the water leaking from the toilet gets closer to him. So now he trims some nose hairs. Uh, He plugs in the radio and Rocky Mountain High is playing, so he unplugs it real fast. Because that's the last song he heard Mm -hmm. before the boom. Yeah. Back at Alex's house, Alex is having a hard time focusing on his penthouse. (laughs) And he keeps looking back at the clear cleavage picture. He's like, I don't, I don't know which one of these to go with right now. Yeah. And a large owl lands on his windowsill outside. Mm-hmm. And it like bangs its face into the window. That would scare the poop out of me. Well, yeah, it would scare the poop out of me. But he throws a newspaper at it to scare it away. And I'm like, I'm terrified of birds. But if a fucking owl landed in front of my window, I'd be like, whoa, oh, let's just stare at it for a while. I, I would like consider going and getting it food. Yeah. I'd be like, do you like Starbursts? <laughs> Owls don't like Starbursts. How do you know? After he throws the, the magazine or newspaper at the the owl, it lands and the back of the fan blades pull some pages in and they start ripping the pages up and they shoot a scrap of paper with the word Todd right onto his lap. Todd with one D. Yeah. That's dumb. So back at Todd's, maybe his name is like, Short for something, like his name's like Todwin. Todrick. Todrick, Toddlin. 
<laughs> I don't know. So back at Todd's, uh, Todd opens the shower curtain to find his mom's pantyhose and bra and girdle. <laughs> They're hanging on a drying line in the shower. And what's the deal with the drying line in the shower? I've seen that at hotels, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I've never seen it in a house. I don't know. It uh, seems like the logical place to have one if you're going to have it inside the house. I think I would have it like in like the laundry room. Yeah. Or like the basement. But that way, if the water is going to drip, it's just dripping into the tub. Oh, that's true. Okay, I'll allow it. So uh, the toilet water is flowing towards Todd, and it's following him around the bathroom. Like every time he takes a turn, it's like, oh, oh, I got to go over here with him. Let's move that way. So the toilet water finally gets under his feet, and he slips on the wet tiled floor and falls neck first onto the drying line. The line rips out from its mount, and it wraps around his neck several times as he falls into the tub. As he falls into the tub, he knocks over shampoo and conditioner bottles... And the line is strangling him real good now. Mm-hmm. But the shampoo and conditioner on the floor of the shower are preventing him from getting any traction to stand up and stop the choking. And now his eyes go bloodshot with like the petechial hemorrhaging. Mm-hmm. And ugh. I, I had to let you describe this scene because like I, even just listening to it right now, I want to die. <laughs> I remember seeing this in the theater. And like when his eyes go all bloodshot yeah. like that, I was like, oh my God. God, is that something that actually happens? Uh-huh. It's so bad. Yeah, I don't like it. Mm-mm. It's a great scene, though. Ugh. He's gagging and gasping, and he's trying to reach for the scissors, and they're just out of reach. And we see the line tighten up on his throat, and then he goes slack, and we see his feet relax, and the water runs back towards the toilet and disappears under the toilet. Ugh. So now Alex is running down the sidewalk, and we see an ambulance outside Todd's house. Uh, he asks an EMT what happens, and of course they don't answer. They can't. Mm-hmm. The FBI guys are there, and they stare him down. And from behind a tree across the street, Clear pops out and warns Alex. She's like, you got to leave. Go away. <laughs> and then he sees a gurney with a body bag being wheeled out to the ambulance. So Todd's parents are walking behind the gurney. And Todd's dad tells Alex that Todd took his own life from feeling guilty and that Alex argues, no, Todd was fine. He'd made plans with me. We were going to go see a Yankees game. And the FBI guys are just still staring at Alex like, hmm. Like, hey, dude, why are you here? Yeah. One of the survivors just died. (laughs) So the next morning, Alex is taking a walk. A single green leaf falls in front of him and he's just magically in front of Clear's driveway. Yes. (laughs) Um, she tells him it's almost autumn, and he says it's only the end of June, yet they're both dressed like it's November. Oh, yeah. Claire is welding her super deep metal art, because it has lots of meanings. Mm-hmm. Oh, and uh, I like that she's like, it's only June, and already you can feel the transition. It's kind of like being able to see the future. And then she gives like a very poignant look at Alex, yeah. like, so you still seeing things? <laughs> She's weird. Yeah. Um, Alex wants to know what she's doing at Todd's last night, and she kind of dodges the question and says that the FBI doesn't investigate suicides. So he repeats the question, and she ignores him again and shows him the the statue of him that she's made. It's kind of 
I don't even know how to explain it. It's a bunch of metal welded together with a floppy head on top. It's like a side profile of a face. And the metal in the middle is full of holes, like Swiss cheese. It's on a spring, too. So the head's like wobbling back and forth. And then it's on like a big base. And I like what he says when she's like, this is supposed to be you. It's not a likeness. It's the way you make me feel. Yeah. And he looks at her. He goes, "Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Um, And then she tells him like a whole bunch of arty crap about it. Um, It's reluctant to take form, yet it creates an absolute but incomprehensible attraction. And then she looks at him and bites her lip. And bites her lip. Yeah, it's weird. So they um, divulge that in four years of high school, they've never said a word to each other. But on the plane, the day of the plane, she felt what he felt. She didn't see it, but she felt it. And Alex says it feels like it's still with them. Okay. He's like, I can still feel it. It's like it's all around us. Yeah. And she's like, what? And he's like, death. So Alex um, hypothesizes that maybe Todd is just the first. And he says that he wishes he could just go see Todd one last time or talk to him one last time. And Claire says, okay, let's go see him. Well, and I don't understand. He's like, I feel like if I could just see Todd one more time, I'd know for sure. Yeah. Huh? Like y- You're the one that gets the visions, you fucking weirdo. Like you're going to go investigate whether your friend killed himself or not? So they break into a funeral home via the skylight. Clear says it gives her such a rush. I think Clear might need therapy. I know Clear needs therapy. So then they break into like the prep area, I guess is what you would. Like the embalming yeah. area. And this, you you had to explain this to me when we were watching Talk to Me, because she reaches up for the doorknob and it's at like chin level. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, why are the doorknobs up so high? And you were like, oh, that's like traditional English style. Yeah. So like something built in, like, in New York, if it was an older building, it might still have that. Yeah, that's so weird because like here doorknobs are reachable by children yeah and i'm like is this just so they can trap children in the coffin room oh i never thought about that (laughs) it's safer like just go in there and then you can't reach the doorknob so they break into the prep area and todd just happens to be out on the table yes (laughs) with really bad makeup yeah and only his face is uncovered which is nice but they still question whether or not it's him and I'm like, okay, I know your friend's dead with some like makeup on, but you really still don't know that that's your friend. Yeah. And Alex is like, whatever made him Todd sure is gone now. Yeah. Then Todd's arm twitches and they both scream and the undertaker comes out from the back room. I like the uh, the stinger when yes. Todd's arm jumps because it sounds like everybody in an orchestra had an orgasm <laughs> at the same time. It's like, Barrr! yeah, the undertaker's. Like, oddly not upset that they're there. Like, <laughs> no, he's he's just cool. Yeah. And I like that he tells him, shh, you'll wake the dead. Yeah. And it's Tony Todd. Yeah. He has the best creepy voice. His voice is very creepy. Uh, Claire asks about the scratches on Todd's neck, and the undertaker says that they're from Todd clawing at his neck. And Alex says, okay, so it was an accident. And Tony Todd says, in death, there are no accidents. No accidents. I was going on to read coincidences <laughs> and accidents at the same time. Accidents. In death, there are no accidents, no coincidences, no mishaps, and no escapes. And then he gives a spooky speech about the things we do every day that could lead up to our deaths. Yeah. 
It really makes you think about your own mortality. Mm -hmm. He says that death has a new design for all of them now, and they need to figure out how and when it's coming for them. And then he tells Alex he'll see him soon. Oh, and Alex says, so if we figure out the design, that means we can cheat death. And then uh, he's like, oh, no, there's no cheating death. And then uh, he tells him that death has a new design for all the survivors. And he says, now you have to figure out what that is and when it's coming back at you. And Clear looks really grumpy and Alex looks confused. And then the mortician tells him, play your hunch, Alex, if you think you can get away with it. But remember the risk of cheating the plan and disrespecting the design could incite a fury that could terrorize even the Grim Reaper. And you don't even want to fuck with that Mac Daddy. <laughs> and then he kind of punctuates this by removing the embalming tool from Todd's like shoulder area and some fluid spurts Ew, out. Yeah. It's gross. And then Alex and Clear are like fully ugged out and they kind of gasp and jump and they're like, okay, well, see you later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd probably leave at that point too. Yeah, I just saw fluids come out of my friend. Yeah. I'm, I'm done. I, I just love when Tony Todd does like the finger gun at Alex and he, I'll see you soon. Yeah, that's creepy. And like, that's all we get of Tony Todd. But, but he, it, it was very effective. But he's the fourth credited actor. Yes. So now we cut to the next day where Alex and Clear are getting some lattes at a store called the Coffee Beanery, and Alex lays out his idea on the design. He asks uh, Clear about how they can know when death is coming for them. They have to look for the signs that death is willing to show them, the omens. Then he shows her the Todd paper from his nudie mag that the fans spit at him during Todd's death scene, and she asks if he saw Todd's death in a vision. He didn't. Uh, then he sees a reflection of the bus of a bus driving by in the coffee shop window, despite there not being a bus on the street. So that's weird. Mm -hmm. He looks a little weirded out, and he goes back to his conversation. Uh, he says he thinks that it was their time to die, but because he saw Death's design, they were able to cheat it. Now Death is coming back for them, unless they can find the patterns and cheat it again. On a street outside, Carter and Terry pull up in Carter's sweet-ass Chevy Nova. <laughs> oh, it's so It hot. is a nice car. So uh, Clear tells Alex that after hearing his theory, she believes that Todd killed himself. Yeah. Uh, Carter's all pissy pants about just seeing Alex sitting on the sidewalk sipping a latte. Well, yeah. Billy's riding his bike down the street, and Carter whips a U-turn right in front of him, making Billy fall off of his bike and into oncoming traffic. And drop all his groceries. Yes. Like, he legit could have killed Billy right there. Yes, easily. Carter needs to calm down. And I also put down that Kerr Smith is just not a believable bad guy. No. He's just too sweet looking. No, especially, like, like we were saying, like, this is Dawson Creek era, and Jack was, like, so soft spoken yes. and kind and caring and this was the exact opposite and it just didn't work for Kersmith. Well, and he has such like soft pretty mm -hmm. boy features and like kind eyes. Yeah, he looks like a nice boy. Yeah, I just can't buy him as being mean. Yeah. So Carter pulls up to the curb next to Alex and Clear and we finally get a break from the horrible Nine Inch Nails or Trent Reznor song that mm -hmm. he's listening to, but it does say Final Destination in it. Oh, this was the year 2000, so I guess I'll let it slide. We had to have some Trent Reznor somewhere. <laughs> uh, Terry tries to convince Carter that it's not time to beat up Alex right now, but he's wearing a windbreaker, so it's totally ass-beating time. <laughs> if you're wearing a windbreaker, it's time to go. Oh. 
As Carter approaches, Miss Luton walks out of the shop nearby, and so all the survivors are together again. Uh, Billy comes up and calls Carter a dick, which is just like his standard line. Carter, you dick! So Carter gives us the lowdown on how Miss Luton is moving away, and he decides that it's Alex's fault. She could be dead instead. I think it, moving away is better. Yeah. So Alex wants to tell the rest of the survivors his theory, but Carter's too busy being an alpha male. And Terry's had enough, and she says, They died. We lived. Get over it. I will not let this plane crash be the most important thing in my life. And she slams Carter on the arms a couple of times when she says, My life. Did you like that dramatic read I just gave? Mm Mm-hmm. She continues with, I'm moving on, Carter. If you want to waste your life beating the shit out of Alex every time you see him, then you could just drop fucking dead. And she finishes this sentence by stepping off the curb right into the path of a speeding bus. She steps off the curb backwards, which is like the dumbest thing ever. (laughs) She gets absolutely annihilated by this bus. Yeah. And uh, if you want to have some fun, watch this frame by frame. Because it's so gushy and gross. No, thank you. And the rest of the survivors of the plane crash get splattered by her blood and gore. And it's pretty gross. Yeah. And then Miss Luton makes a weird gaspy shrieky noise. Mm -hmm. I just really don't like Miss Luton. I don't either. I don't care for her. So then we see Alex and Clear both drinking Alka-Seltzer. Plop, plop, fizz, Separately fizz, what a relief own, it is. own houses, and I put puke because Alka-Seltzer is disgusting. Clear calls Alex, but he doesn't want to talk, so his dad covers for him. He says it, I think he says he's in the shower or something. But his dad tells Alex that he can talk to him anytime, and Alex tells him that they've both been great parents, but he needs some time to figure out some things before he can talk. The news comes on and is reporting that the NTSB believes breakdown of a silicone fuel something blah 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 <laughs> was the cause of the crash <laughs> i think that sounds right i think so too there was like a lot of technical terms a uh, fuel scavenger pump i think it was I, I don't know i put some silicone fuel leak blah 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 um so there's an overlay on the screen of the exploding pattern like the path that the explosion would have followed yeah So it starts with Todd's seat, and Alex is intrigued. He traces the pattern from his computer onto a piece of wax paper. His huge CRT computer monitor. When he lays it over the seating chart, they match up to where the seven of them were sitting. Death is killing them in the same order. And it shows that Miss Luden is next. And I love here how he kind of like slams his palm down on his leg, and he's like, that's death's design. I got it. <laughs> because it's so Devin Sawa. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Miss Luden is talking on the phone to her friend while she's packing up. She's telling her that she's lived her whole life here and she used to see great memories everywhere she looks, looked, but now she just sees fear. She even sees it when she looks out her front yard and she peeks outside and sees Alex pacing in front of her house. <laughs> The way he's pacing out there, I would get creeped out. I would too. Um, so she tells her friend that she's going to have to call her back. And she hangs up and calls for Agent Shrek. Yeah, and she just like has his phone number memorized. <laughs> yeah. She just like violently punches it into the phone. Like, do you call him a lot? I don't know. Maybe she does. Alex is outside creeping around her car, checking her tires. Not her car. 
her Miata. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't pay attention to what kind of car it was. You put some respect on the Miata. So then I put Agent Shrek, because I don't know why his name's Agent Shrek, but it is. The other one's Agent Ween. <laughs> so that together they are Shrek's weenie. Shrek's weenie. They pull up, tell Alex to get in the car. And then they just like shove him in the car. Pretty much. And But Agent Shrek does give him a, watch your head. Well, if you think that this kid has caused a plane crash... Murdered his friend and is now possibly creeping outside his teacher's house. But the NTSB has cleared him of crashing the plane. Well. He could still be murdering people. This is true. True, 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 true. That's true. Inside the house, Miss Luton's curtains flutter in a breeze despite the window being closed. We get a little growly sound effect and some piano notes foreshadowing that the fuckery is about to go down. <laughs> So now we're in the FBI interrogation room, and Alex explains his theory that the survivors are all in danger. Of course, the FBI guy, the FBI guys do not believe this. They're like, <laughs> kid, you're weird. Yeah. Uh, back at Miss Luton's house, she's packing up a coat closet and finds a John Denver album, and she oddly goes, oh, Mom's favorite, and puts it on. Now we're back in the interrogation room. This is something that happens in this movie a lot. We only get like eight seconds of a scene and then we have to cut somewhere else. Yes. So it's like um, some of my notes are kind of crazy because of that. Yeah. Uh, Now the FBI guys are making fun of Alex about his vision that saved seven lives. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the NTSB determined that it was degraded silicone in a scavenger pump. Not anything Alex did. Yep. And Alex explains that there's a pattern for everyone and he's determined to break this pattern. So back at Miss Luton's house, she's enjoying some Don- John Denver, making some tea, and then she sees the black shadowy stuff happen in the tea kettle, just like Todd saw in his mirror. She looks around. She doesn't see anything off or out of place. And I I like the sound effect every time death comes into the room. It's like a... Uh-huh. Like, it, it, it sounds predatory. Yes. I like it. So she throws a dish towel over a knife block next to the stove before she turns on the gas. After igniting the burner, it blows out in the death breeze, because death is windy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the music turns a bit ominous again. Lots of horns giving us fart sounds. Oh. She lights the burner, and for a second, you think it's going to explode. Like, you just keep waiting for everything. Like, yeah. You think when she throws the, like kitchen towel on the knife block something's gonna happen and Mm -hmm. then it's kind of next to the fire so you think that maybe it's gonna catch on fire uh it does not explode but when the burner lights it sounds like a jet engine Ooh! back in the interrogation room the fbi guy with glasses i think that's ween (laughs) tells alex that they know he didn't blow up the plane but then the other survivors started dying so he kind of popped up on their radar and he tells him no one has control over life and death Unless they are taking lives and causing death. I like that. Mm -hmm. And he asks, uh, can you promise me that no one else is going to die? And Alex just looks at him deadpan and says, no, I can't. As long as I'm in here, it's out of my control. Which is not the right answer, Alex. (laughs) No. He just said, like, the only way you can control life and death is if you're killing people. And he's like, yeah, as long as I'm in here, I can't control it. So Mm -hmm. let me leave. They let him go. Agent Shrek says, that kid creeps me out, because for a minute there, I almost believed him. Mm-hmm. So now we cut back to Miss Luton's house. The tea kettle is whistling. She pours water into a mug and then freaks out and flings the liquid across the room because it has the Mount 
Abraham High School logo on it. I, I put like, I get PTSD, but this is weird. Yeah. Like, why- <laughs> if it bothers you much that much, just like get rid of it. Why are you keeping it? Well, and I wrote here, she needs meds and therapy mm-hmm. in like a really bad way. But it's okay because she trades the tea for vodka. Yeah. She was afraid of the mug. <laughs> so let's just put vodka in the mug instead. It makes it better. You know, I don't think moving away is going to help her either. No. Just go get some cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. So she talks herself down. She grabs a bottle of vodka and some ice from the freezer. She plops the ice and the cold liquor into the mug that just had boiling water in it. Yeah. The mug cracks from the temperature shift. She walks through the house, trailing liquor in her wake from her split mug. Uh, She leans over the computer and drips some vodka into the big old CRT computer monitor. And behind her, there's a stained glass window of a dagger pointing downward. And at the bottom of the dagger, it looks like it's going into a pool of blood. Mm -hmm. So she bends down to get something from the floor, and then it looks like the dagger is going into her. Foreshadowing. So now we see the vodka dripping into the electronics on the inside of the monitor, and it starts making shorting out noises and smoking. She approaches the monitor, and it explodes. And then she gets a big shard of computer monitor glass stuck in her neck. Then the dumbass removes the impaling object. Yeah, don't ever remove it. I imagine that computer monitor glass is also quite thick. Yes, because it's like concave. Yeah. Yeah. See? Things are safer now. Mm-hmm. We don't have big CRT monitors nope. anymore. And I also wondered, like, did this school not teach basic first aid? She's a teacher. She should be first aid certified. And she just yanks out the impaling object. I will say that in the moment, sometimes your brain doesn't think well. It's shock. I'm always thinking, do not remove the impaling object. <laughs> <laughs> so she backs up against the dagger window and blood is pouring out of her neck. The score goes crazy. Outside, we see Alex walking, and someone is burning some leaves. In June, in New York, Mm -hmm. as Alex wears his heavy jacket, Mm -hmm. embers from the fire drift up in front of him in really bad CGI glory, Yeah, and he swipes at them. Uh, Back at Miss Luton's house, she's still trailing blood everywhere and gasping. Uh, The computer monitor spews out some sparks onto the floor, and that ignites the liquor that she trailed from the kitchen. Wasn't that... Okay, (laughs) because... I thought it was her blood catching on fire. And I was like, there's no way that alcohol got into her bloodstream that fast. No, because she was trailing yes, the vodka Yes, now that you say way. that, I'm like, okay, that makes sense. Then the flames follow her into the kitchen. We get more growly sounds from death. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm kind of wondering what proof was that vodka? Because you can't light anything on fire that's under 100 proof. It was strong vodka. Yeah. Can you imagine me making a cam driver out of that? (laughs) We get the growly sounds of death. The vodka trail leads up the counter to the stove. And for some reason, the whole stove just ignites. Like, did I miss something here? I don't know. Like, were all the pilot lights blown out by death? Maybe. And she only relit the one? Mm -hmm. But there's only one pilot light on, I guess. Oh, yeah. I don't know. Don't think about it too much. So then the flames kiss the top of the... 200 proof liquor bottle and it explodes miss luton hits the deck after the explosion now we see alex running towards the house after the fire fairies told him that some fuck shit was going down (laughs) he scans the outside of the house we don't see anything happening but inside the house miss luton is still gasping and groaning and bleeding 
Uh, she's lying on the kitchen floor and reaches up for the towel that she had carelessly tossed onto the knife block earlier. She pulls over the knife block and the butcher's knife falls out, landing directly in the middle of her chest. Outside, Alex seems to have maybe heard a commotion. Yeah. So he takes off running for the house. He goes in through the stained glass knife door, which is unlocked. If she's so freaked out that she memorized the FBI guy's phone number, lock your fucking doors. Yeah. <laughs> well, she thinks Alex is gone now. Who else is out there to get her? Oh, yeah. So uh, Alex goes in the kitchen and finds her all knife impaled. He kneels next to her and tells her to stay still. Then the fire-weakened wood of a shelf above the counter gives way, and Alex jumps up to keep anything from falling on Miss Luton. The oven explodes for some reason, and the concussion from the explosion knocks over one of the dining table chairs. The back of the chair falls perfectly onto the butt of the knife, driving it further into Miss Luton's chest and killing her. That was, that was pretty good. The full Rube Goldberg machine yes. of death. So she's dead. Alex picks up the chair and for some reason takes the knife out of her chest and looks at it. <laughs> I said I've always really liked his body movement here because it just screams idle hands yes, to me. Like, I, I wrote, much like he would have stared yes, at his hand in idle hands. Yes, that's exactly. He's like, what the fuck? <laughs> so outside, Alex comes running out of the house just as Billy is riding by on his bike. As Billy greets Alex, Miss Luton's house full ass explodes. And uh, Alex jumps up and runs away, to which Billy responds with, dude. <laughs> I like Billy, because I love Sean William Scott. Yeah, even if he plays the same character all the time. He didn't play the same character in Goon. Yeah. He was aloof and not smart. Mm -hmm. And so oh. the only difference was he played hockey. Yeah. Okay. And he was sweet. Yes. He was very sweet and goon. I think Billy's kind of sweet. Yeah. He's dumb, but he's sweet. Yeah. And he wants to be everybody's friend, but everybody's like, Billy, yeah. go away. Stifler was not sweet. <laughs> uh, so now Clear is back at her house talking with the FBI guys. They're looking for Alex, and she tells them, he isn't talking to me because I didn't believe his idea about death. Uh, she doesn't know where he is, but one of the agents kind of mocks her art and goes, interesting work. <laughs> I feel that. I don't understand art. I don't either. So he gives his card to her and he tells her to contact them if she gets in contact with Alex. So we cut to Billy riding his bike onto the school grounds near the atrocious Eagle Mar Memorial statue. Carter screeches up in his car, nearly running over Billy again. Uh, Carter starts trying to, trying to carve Terry's name into the memorial with a pocket knife. <laughs> it's not going well. No. A for effort, buddy. But yeah. Think things through. So Carter asks why Clear called them all here, and she says that the FBI is watching her to see if she goes to Alex. So Carter needs to take her to Alex. If the FBI is watching you, they can just follow Carter's car. Yeah. So not, not great writing there. No. Carter asks why he would want to see Alex, and Clear ominously replies, because he knows which one of us is next. Oh. And now we're in Carter's car, and this is a fun little scene. They're listening to some really shitty music, but Billy's giving Carter driving tips. <laughs> and Carter tells Billy, wait, wait, I'm having a vision. You're next. And Billy's like, what? And he goes, because if you talk again, I'm going to fucking kill you. <laughs> and how many times have you felt that with one of your annoying friends? Yeah. Like, just shut up, or I swear I'm going to stab your face. Uh-huh. 
So they pull up to uh, Jones Beach State Park, and Clear goes to the shore to look for Alex, and she finds him looking up at the night sky. He's looking at an airplane flying through the sky. And he asks if there's another time or place where Flight 180 didn't crash and they're all safe. So he's talking about the multiverse. Mm-hmm. And Clear reveals that her father was killed in a convenience store robbery. And then her mom married an asshole who didn't want Clear. So her mom abandoned her. And she says, if that was the design for my father and my family, then fuck death. Poor Clear. She's got it rough. Yeah. Now she has survivor's guilt on top of it. Mm-hmm. Then she tells Alex that they can't give up. They got to keep going with this whole crazy idea. Uh, now the four remaining survivors are all in Carter's car. And we find out that Billy narked Alex out to the FBI. <laughs> Good job, Billy. Snitches get stitches. We learned that from Miss Luton. Mm-hmm. He said that he saw Alex running from Miss Luton's house. And Carter wants to know which one of them is next after finding out that Alex knows the design. And Billy says, please tell me I get to see the Jets win a Super Bowl. <laughs> also, fuck the Jets. I'm a Dolphins fan. <laughs> So Carter decides that he's uh, next, despite Alex not telling him as such. Then he starts driving like an asshole because I control my life. Um, or his toxic masculinity won't allow him to believe that he is actually scared right now. Yes. So he drives into oncoming traffic. He blows red lights. He flies around blind corners. Alex looks down at his seatbelt and sees that it's ripped in half. He tries to convince Carter that they can beat the design but he has to stop driving like a total anus. Mm -hmm. When he looks back down, his seatbelt is fine. What's that? I don't know. What's going on here? Was it a vision? I don't know. And Billy yells, I fucking hated French class. (laughs) (laughs) And Alex sees the reflection of the train, or of a train in his car window, but they're not anywhere near train tracks. Mm -mm. So a few seconds later, Carter stops right on some train tracks. Just as the signal arms come down, we hear a train whistle blow. Uh, Billy's scared, and he can't remember how door handles work. <laughs> but he finally manages to get the get the door open. He bails out. Clear and Alex get it out, and they're begging Carter to move the car as he's just decided to stay in it and get hit by a train. Mm-hmm. And Alex tells him, this isn't the way. That's not the way it's supposed to happen. And then Carter's like, oh, he told me that that's not what's going down. Yeah. And he goes... It's not my time. Then he tries to start the car and it won't start. So apparently it is his time. Yeah. He tries to open the door, but it locks and won't open. He tries to take off his seatbelt to climb out the window, but it's jammed. And then in the rearview mirror, we see the black death cloud and we get the. (laughs) So Alex comes to help him out. He's pulling at Carter. He's trying to get him out of the window as the train closes in. And it's real close. It's real close. The seatbelt rips and Alex pulls Carter out of the way just before the train annihilates that beautiful Nova. And I said that in real life, they would have all been seriously injured. Oh, yes. (laughs) Instead, they all just get thrown into the ditch. So a piece of sheet metal from the uh, destroyed car is on the tracks and it's kind of being jostled around by the wind of the passing train. Mm -hmm. Alex says that he saw the seatbelt tear and that was his newest vision to beat the design. Billy starts yelling that Carter is next, and he's like, stay away from me. You keep away from me. And then he's standing with his back to the train, yelling at Carter. The piece of sheet metal is struck by something hanging from the bottom of the train, and it rockets at Billy. The metal cuts the top two-thirds of his head off, Mm -hmm. just above his lower jaw, 
and I like this, his body waggles a little bit uh-huh. before it drops. I loved that. Because that's what would really happen. Yeah. It's like his body dances a little bit. It's like, where's my head? Uh-huh. I'm done. And then Alex starts going off more about death's design. And he's really not worried that Billy just got decapitated. Like, he's just worried about death. They all knew the score. Billy was the throwaway character. Alex is starting to sound kind of crazy. And he goes on and on about how um, if he can see it, he can beat it. He can cheat the design. Uh, We hear the police arriving. Uh, Alex says that he's next after Billy. Claire Claire calls him baby. Yeah. Which is weird. Um, I think that was because... In the original cut of the movie. There was a little more. They had a sex scene on Uh the beach. Like when she gives the whole fuck death speech. Yes. But it's just weird because it's like there's no relationship between them. (laughs) They should have left that in. Yeah. Um, So Carter stays back with the car while the other two run away. (laughs) Carter has fully pissed his pants. Did he? The front of his pants are absolutely soaked with pee. Oh, I didn't notice that. That's yeah, funny. when he tells him, he's like, guys, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> like he's standing up and the front of his pants are just soaked. I was more impressed that like he was willing to take the fall for everything. Yeah. Like he told them to leave. And you know, the police are going to look at him for Billy's death. Yeah. So it clears dad's cabin. Um, Alex is deaf proof. Deaf. Death. Death, 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 yep. Death proofing the place. Um, He's being like super careful and deliberate about everything. He's lost it. (laughs) Yeah. So then I call it the death wind comes in through the cabin um, and Alex taunts death. He says, I've got you now. And then he sees a picture of the two hot girls, Krista and Blake, and remembers that he didn't actually trade spots with the one. So death is coming for clear instead of him. So then the cops, this is the part where I'm kind of, I don't go back and forth. Oh, but the movie goes back and forth. I know, but it was annoying. Okay. (laughs) So you just take the lead and I'll just follow along. Okay. (laughs) Uh, So now we're back at Clear's main house, not her sweet cabin retreat. Yeah. Uh, It's storming outside. She looks out her window to see the FBI douches in their car on the street. And they're just staring at her window through binoculars. Uh-huh. And uh, she looks over and she sees a photo of she and her dad at the cabin and she looks deep in thought. So now she goes out to narc on Alex. Mm-hmm. Everybody's narking Alex out. Yeah. How is that going for everyone? It's going great. You narc, you die. Yeah. Snitches get stitches. Exactly. Which makes Alex look even more guilty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So uh, she tries to cut a deal with the FBI guys that she'll go get Alex because he's not safe in that cabin alone. And the FBI guys are like, no, no deal. Tell us where he is. We'll put him in protective custody. Oh, yeah. Alex is trying to start a fire in the fireplace, and he's looking so rough and crazy. (laughs) And uh, maybe a fire is a bad idea. But he's got to stay warm. I feel like death can really use the fire to its advantage. It's the end of June. Oh, that's right. It's so cold. (laughs) After he realizes that he never traded seats, he's like, oh, wait, my seat was behind Clear's originally, and Mm -hmm. I never traded seats, so Clear is next. Oh, no. So he goes to light a lantern, and he's using like an electric lighter to do it, Mm -hmm. 
and he sparks it a couple of times, and he sees lightning reflected in the lantern's globe. And he, he's already like, we didn't trade seats, so she's next. And then he's like trying to light the lantern, and he's like, she's next. <laughs> like, yeah, you established that like yeah. a minute and a half ago. So back at Clear's house, lightning strikes just outside her home. The wind is picking up, and so is the score. Uh, a power line is downed by death, <laughs> mm-hmm. and it's sparking and dancing everywhere. Alex flees the cabin just as the FBI guys show up. He jumps in a canoe and paddles across the lake, but the cops have to go around the lake. So Clear lights a candle in front of several statues of the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> She notices that her poor doggo is tied up outside, mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful German Shepherd. It is. And it's just feet away from the down power line, and the doggo's scared, but it's still trying to protect. Yeah. She puts her coat on to go outside, but there's a breeze inside of her room, and it blows out the candle. It's the death wind. Death wind. Death is gassy. <laughs> So Alex is on the opposite shore of the lake now. He gets out of the canoe. He's running through the forest. The FBI guys chase him through the woods and they yell, hey, we're just trying to help you. Back at Clears, she runs outside to help the doggo. The power line hits her clothesline and sends it flying at her. I said this movie is very pro-dryer. That's two clotheslines that have almost killed somebody. Oh, oh, pro-like clothes dryer. (laughs) I was like, what are you talking about? pro-dryer. When you said pro dryer, all I could picture was like the things at the salon that they like plop down on top of your head. Oh, like, (laughs) I gotcha. (laughs) The pole on the clothesline buries into the ground right next to Clear's face. The wind blows the clothesline away from her and right into her above ground pool. It punctures the side as she's trying to get the doggo untied. Back in the forest, Alex is still running and he looks for a second to check on the FBI guys. When he looks back... He misses that there's a little hill right in front of him, and he falls down the hill and tumbles and rolls a whole bunch. He stops rolling right in front of a downed tree limb that would have stabbed his whole face off. Yeah. But the cops are still pursuing, so he jumps up and runs away. Back it clears, the side of the pool gives way and floods the yard. She manages to climb onto her rose trellis outside Mm -hmm. of the house just before the power line electrifies the flooding water. In the forest again, yeah, we are cutting back and forth. Like, I bet it was an average of every eight seconds. <laughs> yeah. Like, we get a snippet of a look at something, and then mm-hmm. it cuts back. Because early 2000s. Yeah, it, it, it's so ADD. Yeah. Uh, back in the forest, Alex is running again. Lightning strikes a tree above him and knocks it down onto him. His face lands in a puddle of water, and the tree is holding him in place, and he's, like, bubbling and gurgling. Like, he can't breathe, but he's also being crushed. Yeah. It's not good. So the FBI guys can't see him, because he's stuck under a tree. hmm But they're like, hey, from the direction he's running, we know exactly where he's going. We know he's going to Clear's. So now we see Clear climbing the rose trellis, and she's trying to shimmy along the gutters to the second story of the house. Uh, The power line is going apeshit below her. She reaches up to try to grab anything on the roof she can to pull herself up, and a roofing tile gives way that she's holding on to. She nearly falls. We cut back to Alex, who's still nearly drowning in a puddle (laughs) under the felled tree. But he manages to roll to the side. He gasps for air. Lots and lots of quick cuts back and Mm -hmm. forth, and it made for really, really difficult note-taking. Yes. 
See, that's like when I took my notes, I did all of Alex's scene in one shot and all of Clear's in one shot. Uh, so like it w- made more sense to me that way. <laughs> so now we check back in on Clear for a few seconds. Uh, she pulls herself up to the second story window. She breaks the pane to get inside. The down power line wriggles its way up near her and strikes like the power input thingy on the side of her house mm-hmm. just as she gets inside where she thinks she's safe. The electrical surge from the down line's antics makes the television explode next to her. Uh, She runs into the upstairs hallway, and now lighting fixtures and outlets are exploding into showers of sparks. It's such a cool scene. Yeah, because it's like it looks like it's following her, but at the same time, like that's how it would happen if it got hit. Yeah, it would start with the closest uh outlet, and then just boom, 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 and then just pop its way through the house. She makes it out to her garage. She gets in her car. Uh, She tries the garage door opener, but the power is out, so it won't open. Mm -hmm. She puts the car in reverse, slams the gas, breaks through the wooden garage door, and as she busts through, the garage door opener opener track breaks free from its mounts, and the track breaks through her windshield. She shrieks a lot. Mm -hmm. Because it almost impales her. Yeah. So the garage door opener track is still connected by the motor, and it's kind of holding her car in place. She's slamming the gas pedal, she's making the garage shake, and that tips over a can of turpentine that spills on or that falls onto the floor. Alex is now at Claire's house and he can see the mess that death has made in her front yard. Uh, she's still slamming the gas pedal. Her car breaks free from the garage door track trap. She starts backing down the driver driveway at a high rate of speed mm-hmm. and a bunch of scrap metal falls behind her back wheels, stopping her in place. Then the wriggling power line jumps up onto her hood, shorting out the electrical components in the car and turning it off. She's stuck. So the power line's still dancing around, and it goes into the garage and knocks over a metal sculpture. The top of the sculpture slams down onto the turpentine can, making it spew its contents all over the place. Then the power line comes back to the car. It's like, oh, okay, I did my work in the garage. I'm back now. (laughs) Um, Alex yells to clear to stay in the car. He runs up to the driver's side window. He tells her that she's grounded by the tires. He tries to knock the power line off the hood of the car with a shovel, but the shovel gets whipped out of his hands and it goes sailing into a welding tank and it knocks the top off the tank and like it sends it rocketing under the car. Then the power line ignites the turpentine, which has now streamed towards the car. All hell's breaking loose. Yeah. Death is like, it, it's not trying to hide it no, anymore. No, it's like, I'm going to fucking kill you right here, right now. It's like, clear, you're next. I'm sick of this shit. You were supposed to die 43 days ago. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the stream lands direct, or the stream leads directly to the welding tank, which is just spewing gas. Yeah. And Alex yells to clear, the car's going to explode. She looks worried. He assesses the whole situation and determines that he's going to have to interfere or intervene. So he's going to grab a hold of the power line so Clear can escape. And then he tells her, when I do this, it'll skip you and it will all be over. It's the only way we can cheat death again. Then he tells her, he'll always be with her. And he's talking in a normal conversational tone. And there's all this hubbub going on. It's loud out there. And she's in the car with the window rolled up Mm -hmm. and she can just like hear him perfectly. Yeah. So he goes to the front of the car just as the FBI guys pull up. He grabs the power line and holds it above the hood of the car. Clear gets out just in time as the welding tank explodes, throwing her to the side and flinging Alex into the garage. But the explosion made him drop the power line. Mm -hmm. 
So he lies motionless on the garage floor. His body is smoking. His hands are so burned up. He doesn't look good. The FBI guys come in to help for once. Yeah. And the screen whites out and it fades into the camera going down a jetway. Kind of like an allusion to walking through the tunnel after death. I put, there's a bright white shot. Are we in heaven? Nope. It's Iowa. (laughs) We're at an airport six months later and we hear French being spoken. Clear Alex and Carter have made it to France. Yay! Only to be sitting at the same cafe from home. <laughs> yes. It's uh they just put some plants on the <laughs> on the sidewalk. Yeah. And, and like, like a gas heater. Yeah. It's the same cafe. So they're talking about how they beat death. Um, then they kind of have a toast to all of their friends. Oh, and at the beginning of this, the camera like booms down mm-hmm. over a large illuminated sign. That sign's going to be important. It is. Carter seems to have calmed down a lot. He seems a lot more mellow. Maybe he tried a therapist. Maybe they put him on some Prozac. Yeah. A troubadour down the road starts playing John Denver. Our dog is snoring so loud. <laughs> <laughs> and then Alex brings up the design again. Um, Claire and Carter are obviously annoyed with him. They're like, dude, can you please just stop with the death's design? Mm -hmm. Alex starts getting the creepy crawlies. Um, we see the death wind blow through, uh, and then he kind of tells them that he'll just meet them back at the hotel. Well, and I like that Claire's trying to calm him down and Mm -hmm. she's like, what if us surviving was death's design and it's just over now? Yeah. But he's spooked and is like, (laughs) I don't like this. And Carter still taunts him. Like, even though Carter's being nice to him and you can tell they're like on good terms uh-huh. now, he's like, yeah, but Alex, nobody intervened. So you're still next. Yeah. He's still a little bit of a dick in there. Clear sees the reflection of a bus in the window. Just as the busker troubadour guy starts mm-hmm. singing Rocky Mountain High in French. Oh. She yells Alex's name and he narrowly avoids being hit by a bus. But. It causes the bus to crash into a light pole. Oh, and right before this, you get all of those, like, Alex is looking around at all the things that could kill him. And there's, like, the meat delivery guy Uh stabbing meat hooks (laughs) in. And he sees, like, like scaffolding above. Yeah. And, like, a big thing of nails spills. What could go wrong here? Like, oh, no, there's so many things that can kill me. Uh So the bus crashes into a light pole. And then the light pole hits a big neon sign. It's not neon, though. No, it's just like... It's like a bulb yeah, sign. Yeah, it's like a whole bunch of bulbs. Just a giant sign. And it reads, Le Café Miro 81. What does that mean? I don't know. The Café Miro. Oh, I thought you would have looked it up. No. <laughs> I mean, I am French. So it causes the sign to come crashing down. And Carter tackles Alex, saving him just in the nick of time. So this is like twice that Alex just like got saved. Yeah. In a row. Um, so that, that means it skips Alex and that Carter was next. So then we see the sign swing back and it cuts to a black screen just before it hits Carter. And did you notice that as the sign is swinging down behind him, the Miro 81? Uh-huh. Backwards is 180. 180. So the 180 comes to slap Carter in the head. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what? Flight 180 is going to get you. It, it is. 
And that's the end of the movie. Credits. Woohoo! So we had a body count of five, oh, I guess. I have 292. Yes, I guess you could do that. It, because 292 people died. 287 on the plane uh-huh. and five by death's design. See? Uh, Todd strangled by the drying line in the shower. Ugh. I put like garrote slash hanging. Yeah. It's, it's bad. Terry, bus smash. Valerie Luton, glass in throat, knife in chest, house explosion. You can just pick your poison there. She died a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Billy Hitchcock, partially decapitated by sheet metal. And Carter, crushed by a big fucking sign. Yes. Reactions? I put that the, the acting is lacking. Yeah. It needs some help. The script is really great until after the plane crash. Yes. And then it just falls flat. Well, and I feel like the director focused more on special effects than he did on getting the most out of the actors. Yeah. On getting the most out of the script. Yeah. I I think he was just more concerned with the toys that he got to play Mm -hmm. with with his 20 plus million dollars. Todd's death is by far the worst. Oh, yeah. I, I still struggle watching it. Um, the special effects throughout the movie are pretty good. And overall, I still really enjoy watching this movie. I said something very similar. Uh, I love the movie, but I do acknowledge that it has several flaws. Mm-hmm. Uh, the plot holes get filled in pretty ridiculously with huge leaps by Alex. Yeah. He just kind of like knows everything, but he doesn't know it until he absolutely needs to. Yeah. Miss Luton just annoys the shit out of mm-hmm, me. I agree. Uh, the quick cuts between the action scenes are very dated. Yeah. The, but the story is original and fun. I like the death scenes. It, Like we said before, it's like just Rube Goldberg machines of death mm-hmm. triggered by death itself. Yeah. The pacing is great. It slows down just enough in the middle to kind of let you catch your breath and prepare for the big finale. Mm-hmm. The score is effective, but it's not memorable. No. Like, I could not hum the score to this movie to you. No, not at all. And I've seen it dozens and dozens of times. Yeah. But it works in the movie. It makes you feel what it's supposed to make you feel. Yeah. Uh, I'd say even 23 years later, the special effects hold up. Yeah. It, this... well, especially if you go back and watch it frame by frame. You said it's... Yeah. And the movie looks great. Mm-hmm. It's enjoyable, but it's not really good. Yeah. There's a couple scenes that are like... Are too dark. Yeah. But it is, I think this is a perfect movie if you and somebody else have seen it a few times to just like put on and have playing while you just sit and talk. Yeah. Or and eat then you can food. kind of riff on it. And yeah. It's a good uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 movie. Yeah. Got any production facts? Well, my first production fact is during the beach scene was originally shot with a romantic subplot between Clear and Alex, and which would make all of the baby calling make more sense. <laughs> <laughs> they were going to fuck. Because I'm like, why is she constantly calling him baby? I don't call my friends baby. Yeah. This was originally a script idea for an X-Files episode. Uh-huh. I saw that too. Um, originally, it was seven strangers that got off the plane. But due to the popularity of teen slashers at the time, they changed it to a high school class. Uh, all of the death scenes in the movie were done using life casts of the actors. Oh. So like, that's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. And then this features the shortest opening disaster movie in the film series. The plane crash lasts two minutes. 
The plane set piece held 89 people, weighed 4,500 pounds, and could tilt 45 degrees from side to side and 60 degrees front to back. The director, when he first looked at it moving, was mm-hmm. like, oh, God, all the extras and stunt people are just going to be puking constantly in here. Oh. No word on if they did. I would be. That's all the facts I have. Do you have more facts? Nope, that's all I had. Oh, my goodness. Do you have any goof? <gasps> Uh, a couple. I do, too. I have one. Uh, Miss Luton says that either she or Mr. Renard or Murnau, uh should get back onto the plane because the students have to be supervised. But at the memorial, they say that four teachers were killed in the plane crash. Yeah, I noticed that, too. So they were going to be supervised. She just wanted to kill Mr. Murnau. Mm-hmm. Well, I would, too, if all he does is speak fucking French. Oh, Jean-Robert, <laughs> That's me speaking French. Actually, um, I think it was more simlish. <laughs> um, the spill on her computer when she like drops the vodka on it, it changes. And it's not like it gets, goes from bigger to smaller. It goes from smaller to bigger. Oh, that happens. <laughs> yeah. Before Terry is hit by the bus, there's a road crew working on the road that she's hit on. And they're just across the street from the intersection that the bus comes plowing down. Mm-hmm. So that bus would have had to turn that corner at like 45 miles per hour to hit her at the angle that it did. Yeah. And it's always bothered me <laughs> because they make a big deal about showing this road crew working across the street. Uh huh. And I'm like, why did you make such a big deal about showing that? Because you just made her death not make sense. Yeah. That's true. That's only if you like watch it paying attention. Oh. Like when you're in the moment, I don't know that you would have noticed that. Oh, I always notice things. Okay. Do you have more goofs? Nope. Who are you? I'm Billy. (laughs) I'm the goofy idiot that nobody wants to be around. Yeah. Who are you? I said I beg to be one of the kids that dies on the plane because the rest of the characters in this movie are terribly stereotypical characters with zero depth. (laughs) Who do you think I am? I didn't put one for you. Oh. I'm sorry. Am I just a dead kid on the plane? Yeah. You're the one that got sucked out. (laughs) Oh, God. Miss Luton was trying to save me. She was. Ew. You're not going to like this. I said you're clear. I could see that. You're dark and weird and you don't like people. Yeah. I could just like hang out in my garage and weld shit. Yeah. And you know, you do get on your little kicks where you're like, I'm going to learn how to weld shit. I I haven't learned how to weld shit yet, but it, it... it's coming. It could come. <laughs> so, uh, final thoughts and rating? Um, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Really? Yeah. What'd you give it? Um, I said this series is one of my favorites because it doesn't require any effort on mm-hmm. my part. I can just sit down, pop the movie on, turn off my brain, and just be entertained. Um, even though I love them, I know they're not good movies. Yeah. Uh, so, I gave this one a 7 out of 10. But I will literally rewatch this anytime. That's what I put. Th- this is one of those movies that you see on TV and you just leave it on. Yeah. And you watch it with commercials, even though you pay for five streaming apps and you have the Blu-ray downstairs. Yes. You don't go out of your way to watch this movie. But if it's on, you enjoy it. Yes. And like, I will literally rewatch this anytime. Yeah. If you and Nolan wanted to watch this tonight, uh-huh. I'd be like, cool, let's okay, do it. Let's do it. <laughs> That's all I have. So uh, in closing, we have officially made it through one round of movies. Woo-hoo! We've made it through the first film in every franchise that we've picked to cover. 
So we want to hear what you guys think. So go to our socials, tell us what you think, and uh, like, share, review, comment. Subscribe. Subscribe. Do all the things to help us because you love us. And we love you. Yeah. And we're going to be hitting you with something special on Monday. Uh Uh-huh. Our first ever bonus episode. Uh, We decided we're going to do this after every round of films. So after we complete 10 movies, we're going to sit down. We're going to talk about the best and worst from all 10 movies, our favorites and flops, and... We're just going to have a fun time with it. Yeah. It's probably going to be a pretty short episode. It'll just be a short little thing. But, you know, we've already got the worst day of the week covered for you with Thursday. So every 10 weeks, we're going to give you the second worst day of the week, Monday. (laughs) Every two and a half months, you'll hear from us. Yes. (laughs) Next time, we're going to be watching Halloween 2. So tune in next Thursday for that. Yep. And that's going to start the second round of movies. Mm Mm-hmm. We're doing it. We are doing it. It's scary. So if you want to follow us on the socials, I think the easiest thing you can do is just go to our website, which is www.franchisefrightspodcast.com. Yeah. And there's a link there to all of our socials. And a link to other places where you can listen to the podcast if you haven't listened to it yet, even though you're listening to it right now. Whoa. It's It's like the Terminator. Yeah so many levels (laughs) so uh yeah thanks for listening thanks for getting us through these first 10 and we can't wait to go through the next what 79 a lot (laughs) all right so until monday yeah remember Remember, they they always come come back. back